You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Tonight, Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit. We're at the very end of the list. Uh, we've had uh, the inward attitudes and the outward displays. And now we're on to the other goods, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's again, as we have done, read the entirety of the context uh, to see um, uh, what is there for us. Galatians 5, beginning verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition one to another, so you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So there's no law against all these wonderful things that we should have. We think about, again, though, the works of the flesh. Uh, How many laws there are that uh, uh, limit the activities that go with that. The things that uh, limit a lack of control in the sexual nature, the limits we have in Scripture uh, and in common morality and decency against uh, things of false religion, idolatry and sorcery, uh, the things of which we teach people not to do and not to engage in, the things of bad temper, enmity, strife, jealousy. Outburst of anger, the things of bad relationships, uh, disputes and dissensions and factions and envying, and then uh, the things of substance abuse, drunkenness and carousing, and the other things that disqualify from you from the kingdom, all the things like these, how both God and man have sought to regulate and to limit these things, but then the things which we're to have in our life by the Spirit, the thing the Spirit produces, the fruit of the Spirit. We have the inward attitudes, love, joy, and peace. The outward displays, patience, kindness, and goodness. And now the other goods as well. Faithfulness, tonight gentleness, the Lord willing next week, self-control. These things that are helpful and beneficial uh, in all things, uh, never uh, to be spoken against and always for our uh, benefit. The fruit of the Spirit, the other goods, The second one, after faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness. In the King James, we'll have meekness. Uh, The word, uh, aside from gentleness or meekness, is sometimes also translated as uh, and defined as humility or as mildness. Gentleness, meekness, mildness, and with this comes humility. Uh, it's generally thought of as being uh, submissive to the will of another, 
being patient when wronged, uh, not being uh, uh, mean uh, or or uh, putting upon others. But at the same time, it's not, as uh, many of the world thinks, it's not a, a cowardice. It's not a just uh, putting up with it because you can't do otherwise. Sometimes meekness and mildness is thought of in that context that, uh, well, that person didn't respond because they couldn't. That person was too weak to respond. Uh, it's not that. It's uh, That's not our gentleness here. It's uh, the opposite of anger, malice. Uh, it's the opposite of vengeance. It is the idea that, yes, we could strike back. Yes, we could be ugly about this. Yes, we could be, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, cantankerous. But we choose not to be. Now, in the very definition of the word, meekness particularly, the others carry it some as a connotation, but just in the very definition of the word, meekness, we do have that kind of, of a negative uh, connotation of weakness. Uh, in the American Heritage Dictionary, the meekness is first definition, which is a good one and the one we want, showing patience, humility, and gentleness. But it also has with meekness, easily imposed upon and submissive. And that word of, of uh, an idea of, of uh, easily imposed upon and weak, it is in its original root. Uh, meekness is one of the few words that doesn't come to us through German or uh, 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 French Latin roots. It actually comes to us from uh, Scandinavia. It's a Norse word. We have a few of those in our vocabulary, not that many. But this old Norse word means soft. And so it's, it's a person who is eh, maybe a little wimpy, uh, maybe uh, a little bit, uh, you know, an old-fashioned word. He's a little bit of a sissy. He, he really can't stand up for himself. There is something of that actually in the definition in our English word meek. But it isn't in the biblical quality of meekness. It isn't in this quality of gentleness that is in the fruit of the Spirit. And so there are a number of times when we have things that, from the worldly point of view, are uh, distasteful, uh, that, that they are uh, uh, you know, Christian virtues that the world doesn't recognize as a virtue. Uh, even the uh, very uh, definition or dis uh, description so often of God's people as his flock, as his sheep. There are some people who know some of the qualities of sheep and they take that as a negative description. They take that as a thing not to uh, be honored, uh, but rather to be avoided because uh, sheep are so easily misled. Sleep, sheep are so easily uh, preyed upon. And, uh, and and they don't like that imagery of sheep. But then if you look at humanity, especially you know the, in our relationship with the evil one, weak, misled, and preyed upon seem to be pretty apt descriptions. But they no, I'm in charge. No, I, I won't be misled. No, I won't be taken advantage of. And so you tell me to turn the other cheek. Well, I'm not going to do that. That's not manly. You tell me to not uh, avenge myself of wrongs. No, I, I won't do that. Uh, that's that's not how I was raised. Well, it should be though how we're discipled. It is what we're taught to do in Christ to be a gentle and submissive. Now. Who we're gentle and submissive to is the thing of great importance. 
Uh, we think about David, the sweet singer of Israel, uh, the young small guy with his harp, uh, making uh, a melody uh, to the Lord and singing songs to the Lord all the time. And so we think about little David and, oh, okay, well, that's that's cute. But he wasn't so cute when he went against Goliath. Against Goliath, he stood firm. But with God's people, with but a few exceptions, uh, his sins are, are well known. But with God's people, he was quite gentle and, and kind. But to the one who stand, stood up and profaned God, uh, he was quite bold. Or uh, David with his sheep, where he would, you know, as a good shepherd, do all things for his sheep. But uh, when the lion and the bear, that's, that was his qualifications to go fight Goliath, he told King Saul, the lion and the bear came, and I grabbed him by his beard and I slew him. So the lion and the bear come, and David's death on the lion and the bear. And uh, you think about, well, uh, what would dogs be to him? The constant bane of shepherds, stray dogs coming after the sheep. What is he to those? So to those trying to savage the flock, he's, he's, he's bold, he's firm, he's resolute. But to uh, those of God's people, he would be kind and gentle. So we think about these people uh, who misunderstand the instruction and think meekness a bad thing. There's a very interesting uh, phrase in uh, Numbers chapter 12. It's about Moses. And whenever you're studying meekness, if you do it from the old King James, when you do your word search, you run across this word. You might not in the newer translations, but you would if you studied from the King James. But in Numbers 12, 3, it says this about Moses and his meekness. It says, Moses was very meek above all the men who are on the face of the earth. Moses, it says, was the meekest man on the earth. In the newer translations, it'll say Moses is very humble or possibly Moses is very gentle more than any man else who was on the face of the earth. So the King James used the word meek. He was the meekest man on the earth. The New American Standard, he was the humblest man on the earth. Well, you think about that Egyptian that he saw who was beating one of the Hebrew slaves, and he slew him for his overstepping his bounds and for his mistreatment of other people. Uh, he, he killed a guy. Uh, you think about Moses, uh, who uh, would stand up to before Pharaoh and say, in the name and voice of God, let my people go. Do it repeatedly in spite of Pharaoh's threats. Uh, he would call Pharaoh on his uh, changing plans and changing of his mind. He would Pharaoh would say, well, how about this or that? Or he'd make an agreement and break it. And Moses would go in again and say, stop doing that and let the people go. When he offered Moses compromise, he says, no, we're not going to compromise. We, no, Pharaoh said, well, just go out with the men folk, worship God and come back. Or, or just go out. You don't need to take your animals when you go worship. Just uh, just leave all your stuff here. You people go worship and come back. And Moses withstood over and over Pharaoh. So Moses opposed individually on his own. He opposed an oppressive uh, slave, ma uh, 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 slave overseer. Uh, Moses opposed later uh, Pharaoh himself repeatedly to his face. Moses would then, as he led the people in the wilderness, he would have to withstand the people over and over. Uh, he confronted his own brother. Uh, this is Exodus 32. We see, again, the meekest 
and gentlest man on the earth? Exodus 32.25 But when Moses saw the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control and be a derision to their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Every man put his sword upon his thigh, and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Israel did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 of the people fell that day. Well, Moses was still, and later, when the description was made, the meekest or gentlest man on the earth. But he had that meekness and gentleness directed by God. And we'll say a bit more about that in a moment. But we'll take another example, another great hero of ours. Of course, the perfect hero, the perfect example, Jesus, who also was meek and gentle. And so we think about how uh, Jesus came in an unassuming way, in a way that uh, didn't put himself forward. Uh, Here the king of the universe come and humbly and lay in a manger, uh, that he uh, spent his youth in a carpentry shop, that when he began uh, his ministry, he began it in the -the out-of-the-way synagogues, just preaching what was in the scrolls, what was written in inspiration of him. And then he teaches people to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile and to suffer uh, uh, when they have been uh, wrongly uh, put upon. And in in the greatest display uh, of his uh, uh, possible earthly power and popularity in the triumphal entry, he comes riding on almost a comically absurd, ridiculous little animal. Not coming on any of the horses that were in all of of Judea. He didn't have a single one of those uh, that he called to him. He didn't call for a litter to be made so that he could ride upon the shoulders of his adherents. Uh, He didn't come with any of the chariots that would have been uh, parked around uh, uh, the city of Jericho and and, uh, on his trip up to Jerusalem. He didn't come in any of the uh, uh, ways of honor, any of the ways of might. He came as the prophecy said, quoted in Matthew 21 and verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming. Hey, good, the king's coming. Be on a white horse, right? Shining armor, big big sword, lots of lots of people in front of him, like Absalom when he was getting ready for a rebellion. He had 50 footmen who ran in front of him and let everybody know, hey, the king is coming. The king, no. Gentle. And mounted on a donkey. Not even the big donkey, not even the full-size donkey. Again, the comically small, the ridiculous almost, the surreal nearly on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so what is the smallest, most humble animal you can possibly find for me to ride on? Go get me one of those and don't get a big one. And so here comes Jesus, gentle, and seated on the donkey colt. This is the point that he's making. Yes, I come with power. He did on that day have the most popular claim he probably ever had. As the crowds hailed him, saying, Here's the king, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Here comes the son of David. And after all the big buildup, a guy trotting in on a little donkey. 
because he's making a point that this is not, even though it was about him, in another sense, it's it's about glory to God, and it's not about self-congratulations uh, and grandeur and the things esteemed by men. It's by the things despised by men, the things esteemed of God. And so Matthew 11 is his call in that vein. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, there's our word, and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. So the one with the greatest power came with the greatest humility. And, and that's one of the reasons why he actually could be so humble, because he recognized his power. He recognized his place. He knew the, the true divinity that was his. And so he didn't have to go proving it all the time. Yes, there's plenty of display to know it, as he displayed miraculous power repeatedly, nearly always, uh, for the benefit of other people, because the kind of displays of power he's most known for is helpful miracles, merciful miracles, kind miracles, uh, mostly medical. But uh, he didn't have to, like the uh, unsure fella, he didn't have to, like the uh, the, the guy who's full of self-doubt, he didn't have to prop himself up. He didn't have to convince himself of anything because he knew certainly who he was. So he could be so kind to stoop to others because he didn't have to worry about what other people might think of him or what he might think of himself. Isaiah 42, the prophecy. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So there we see the strength again. He's going to bring justice. That requires some strength. Justice is not a thing easily brought into this world. It's not a thing uh, that comes on its own. It, it needs to be carried in by strong men. Justice needs to be supported by arms. Justice needs to be uh, supported with a great deal of strength. Well, here's this meek one who can bring true justice. So he's unyielding. He has resolve. He has uh, backbone despair. He has uh, confidence in the things of which God had given him. So we think about that power on display a couple of occasions uh, where uh, he goes and he cleans out the money changers. Uh, the guys who were shell selling John 2, they were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changing. He made a scourge of cords. He drove them all out. And so He's, he's not very gentle to those guys, just like David wasn't very gentle to the lion, the bear, Goliath. Moses wasn't very gentle to Pharaoh. Moses wasn't very gentle with the oppressor. Moses wasn't very gentle with those who rebelled with Korah, but they were strong in the things of God. So this is real gentleness, meekness, and humility. It knows when to be strong and put on the display. It knows when to bear the arms. It also knows when to cradle another in their arms and be kind to them. So to another group who was oppressive, Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men and you don't enter it yourself, nor will you allow others who are entering into it. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, woe to you, because you devour widows' houses, even while making a pretense of long prayers. Therefore, you'll have the greater condemnation. 
Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So the oppressive, the ones harming others, the ones standing in the ways of the kingdom, the great strength of Jesus was shown. But again, for what purpose? Not for self-aggrandizement, not for selfishness, but to help those who were coming uh, to the kingdom, to help those who were worshiping, to help those uh, who God said to protect. And so that prophecy, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Yeah, he sets the injustice right. But to those who are not involved in injustice and to those who were weak and to those who needed help, to them, well, to the bruised reed, he would not break into the dimly burning wick. He would not extinguish. And so we see the control needed for true gentleness. If you could, if you're just gentle, meek, mild, and milk toasty, because you don't have a choice, there's not just a whole lot of moral value in that. You're just, you know, victim of circumstance. But if you're like Jesus, who has all the power of the world, and you take abuse, but you take it for a greater purpose. If you are using that power to help another, to lift them up, instead of using what power you do find uh, to strike one down, then we find that is of great worth. And that is a, is a, a thing that is of great value. And it's what God asks of us as Christians. So we think about what Jesus submitted himself to. And people who see him beaten, robbed of justice, silent as a sheep before the shearer, again to go to Isaiah, crucified without objection, mocked while being crucified, challenged to come down off the cross, which he certainly could have. Could have called 12 legions of angels to stop it at any time. And he never does because it's for a purpose. It's for a greater good. Then we find true meekness, true gentleness because he could do otherwise but he chose for the purposes of God not to and so now with us our need of gentleness and meekness it, it starts with the fact that we have power that we have some ability to do things but we choose to regulate that uh, we choose to channel that into a good purpose. We choose to be to those who are oppressed, gentle. We choose to be to those who are being wronged, not someone who just piles on and gets something out of them too and gets the last pound of flesh they have, gets the last coin out of their pocket because somebody else has already roughed them up and weakened them up, but instead the one who lifts them up, the one who helps them, and the one who gives. And so our gentleness, our meekness, is that we rely on God. And if there's things that need to be set right and there needs to be uh, physical action uh, so many times, well, well, we'll let God do that. We leave room for the wrath of God. We leave things in God's hands. And so leaving things in God's hands, that God will set it right. The, this is why it is the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness that we have is first directed, I think, toward God. That our humility says, God, you said this will be handled. God, you said this will be done. We leave it to you. 
So like in Romans 12, we don't take our own vengeance, but we leave room for the wrath of God. Yes, we could do things of vengeance. We could do some harm to those who were doing harm. But we can't do harm all the time in justice. We can't do it in real truth. Uh, We'll be uh, too limited in what we can do. Uh, We won't have the knowledge to do it right. We won't have the knowledge to get all the right people. We might go overboard. We might not know when to stop. But we leave room for the wrath of God. We leave room for the instruction of God. And so we realize that God is working things together for our good. And so we let God work. Not because we couldn't do anything, but we recognize we couldn't do anything near as well as he can. And so uh, we also, like James 1, you know, uh, the anger of God does not, uh, excuse me, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Uh, we, We don't argue with what God has said. We submit ourselves to what God said. And so when God says a thing, we do a thing. As it says in James 1, James 1, 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now, that's us, filthy and wicked. But leave that behind. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So as long as we're striving on our own, as long as we're trying to, well, we'll do it my way. I know Frank Sinatra made a beautiful song. that Well, it's an easy, great chorus to belt out. I did it my way. But that's the song of the lost. That's not the song of the saved. Our song is the songs of Zion, like Psalm 31, this song, which we recognize from the Beatitudes, Psalm 37, verse 11. Psalm 37. But the humble, old King James will say meek, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Beatitudes, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Jesus is telling us what one of the songs say. You know, they sang this song down at the temple. They sang this song in the synagogue. Did they not believe the songs they sang? I don't think they always did. Actually, I don't think we always believe the songs we sing either. Sometimes we sing them at church and we don't believe them. And sometimes I hope some of the songs we sing on the radio we don't believe, because, man, some of those things are morally filthy. What did it just say from James? putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. You know, some of that's the stuff we sing about. And it's not just the new stuff in the rap songs. It's the golden oldies too. Some of those things are pretty filthy and wicked too. So just because we sing it doesn't mean we believe it. And I think Israel was the same way. Just because they sang it doesn't mean they believed it. So Jesus told them again, yes, these gentle people, these are the ones God will give the earth to. So We need to be gentle toward God in accepting what he said, leaving room for his wrath, leaving room for his provision of things. Our job is to be faithful to him, and that should be our main concern. That's where we use our strength. And these other things, let's just leave them off. And so then we can be, as we are gentle, meek, humble toward God, we can be gentle and meek toward others. This passage directed toward brethren, Colossians 3. Colossians 3 and 12, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another 
and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So as the chosen, holy, and beloved put on, after it lists the heart of compassion, it basically lists the things that are the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And what's the first thing given by the Apostle Paul in explaining what does that look like? What does the heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience look like? It looks like forbearance and forgiveness. Verse 13 of Colossians 3, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. There's, there's no room in the life and mind of the disciple for any festering complaint. Forgive every complaint against anyone. Well, but Lord, what if some of those brethren are an heir and they keep being an heir? What about them? Does that does it count over there too? Well, let's be meek and let's be gentle toward the erring. Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is caught in a trespass, well, there's your erring brother right there. If a man is ca- any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And so this gentleness, putting your power under somebody else's control in humility, mainly directed by God. Put that to the other guy's benefit. Well, which other guy? The brother who is caught in a trespass. And the brother who has burdens. You, Christian, do that. That is your that is your assignment in gentleness for today. We think about this in a similar vein. This is one of those preacher passages, a passage directed uh, at Timothy and his job uh, as a preacher. It has some application and uh, things that resound to everybody, but it's for uh, the ministry first. Second Timothy two twenty three, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that only produce quarrels. So first thing, know what's off limit. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And so there's a mildness and a meekness that even those in opposition are to be handled with. There's to be no railing judgment. There's no room for that. Of course, in the book of Jude, not even... Michael, the archangel, gave a railing judgment to Satan, but saying only the Lord rebuke you. But with a mildness of spirit, a gentleness and humility, recognizing that you were once caught by the devil and you were set free by the repentance that God granted, well, teach the other guy so that he might have the same space of repentance and the work of God might change his mind. Yes, speak the truth and the power and the authority of the gospel, uh, but do it in a manner consistent with, not quarrelsome, but gentleness to guide them to the things of God. And so our conduct in all things toward the brethren, 
especially uh, especially pointed out with erring brethren, is to be marked by this. As Paul, as Paul asked the Corinthian church to make correction, and goodness knows that they have a lot of things to make correction of, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And so Christ is our first model. We have these secondary models in the apostles. We have the instruction of the word in this way. So who are we meek to? Toward God, toward brethren? Well, just toward everybody. Meekness and gentleness. Titus chapter 3, the instruction given to be given to all of the brethren. Remind them to be subject to their rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing consideration for all men. Just read that again. I used to think about passages like this. I need to. Re- I thought, well, we need to remind some brethren during election season about some of these instructions. But now it seems like we just need to have these things played 24-7 on a loudspeaker. But say this to all the brethren. And think about this with every social media post you see. And think about this with every social media post you make. And think about this with all the the sitting around the dinner table and the family gatherings, and with the neighbors, and at the break room. Remember this is the instruction for all of us who are believers. We're to be reminded to be subject to rulers. This is again Titus 3, 1 and 2. Subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, to be gentle, showing consideration for all men. That's the breakdown of it for us at the last saying of all these things. That's what meekness, that's what gentleness is. Meekness is the very basis uh, of our serving others. As Christ was so meek and he, using all his power and authority, came in such a gentle way for us, then it becomes the, the basis of our serving others. It's exactly the opposite of any kind of self-centered, demanding, controlling, selfish, obstinate attitude that we see so often today among some who claim to be believers and among a whole lot who don't. But it is still the meek, still the gentle, that will inherit the earth. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.